0: Thank you for being here this morning. If you want to turn to a passage of Scripture, Colossians 3 would be the place to start, but we're going to be in Ephesians as well, so there'll be a lot of turning from Colossians to Ephesians. We're in our ninth week of this study on consistent Christian character, We've, uh, we've seen some excellent biblical models of Christian character in our study so far. Scripture records for us their beliefs and their actions, of course, and then it also requires us to hold our pastors to high standards of character, as we talked about last week, as they serve as our modern examples, or models of Christian character. But as we discussed the biblical mandates for pastors, we reminded ourselves last week that the standards are no lower for us because each command for them is echoed somehow and in some way for us elsewhere as a requirement for all disciples. So what we're in essence attempting to do when we look at the qualifications of a pastor is we're looking for someone who is exemplary. And so we, we obviously want that to be the case, but that never means for a moment that we are not trying to live up to that standard of an exemplary life. Two, you'll notice that um, in our church covenant, we we haven't actually read our church covenant, you know, publicly together for a while. But there's a little phrase in there that I always notice because, you know, I like words, and there it says that we're, we are uh, we are making a covenant to be exemplary in our deportment. Do you remember that part? Exemplary in our deportment. Well, in a way, what we're saying is we're going to be, in all our behavior and all of who we are, an example to others. That's what we mean. And so while we hold pastors, as we talked about last week, to that same high standard, we ought to be holding ourselves to that standard because Jesus Christ himself set a high bar for us. You'll find that, in fact... He makes some comments, particularly in a passage that we've even talked about during the course of this lesson in Matthew chapter 5, in what's typically called the Sermon on the Mount. He he seems to make a statement as to what you may have heard about godliness, what standard you may have heard about, whether it's a, a good standard or a bad standard. He offers us a couple that are not a good standard, that are commonly believed in the world. And then he says, but I'm saying unto you, the bar needs to be raised. I'll give you just a couple of examples of that from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was, or that it has been said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, of course, that that was one of the Ten Commandments, not to commit adultery. That's a standard we certainly should hold to. Would you agree? But then he says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. It's a, it's a bar-raising exercise He's saying that, yes, I understand that you've been commanded this good commandment. You shouldn't commit adultery. But what I'm telling you is let's raise the bar and let's make a standard that comes from the heart. Let's not just say, well, you're not going to be able to do this thing, but let's, let's go beyond. There's another one, verse 38, if you were to go down, 10 verses. It says, he hath heard that it hath been said. This one, not, not so biblical in its origins, at least. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn him the other also. Now, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth would have been a, a, a smite for a smite, right? But he says, no, if someone smites you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Now, this is a very countercultural one here. Very countercultural. If a man sues you to take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. You're almost never gonna get anybody to go along with you on this one. Somebody gonna sue me, they're gonna get my stuff? No, no chance of that happening. Might let him smite me and I'll let him smite the other cheek. And I'm going to get my stuff. Very countercultural. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, or go with him double that. There's a there's a bar raising that's occurring, and most of the time it's it's um, because of or or it's um, it's after the Lord Jesus mentions, this is what you may have heard, or this is what may be out there in the world. Here are the ideas that that may be common, but I'm telling you something else. These ideas are common. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you hit me, I'll hit you back twice as hard, right? Heard that a lot in recent years. If a man sues me, well, I'm going to win the case. I know my rights. Somebody's going to try to get me to do something. I don't have to do that. Can't compel me to walk a mile. It says go with him twice as far. Verse 43, another standard Bar lifted. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Well, I've heard that part, and hate thine enemy. Well, that's certainly what the world says. It's certainly what the world says. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Something countercultural again. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Wait a minute, I know my rights. They can't do that to me. I live in a place where we have unalienable rights. They can't do that to me. No. Well, love them, do good to them, pray for them. You know, I noticed when we went through this last time just a little bit, a few weeks ago, you know, and I noticed at that time it was even um, when they're despitefully using you and persecuting you right now. Doesn't mean five years later when you've worked up the courage within yourself to love them and pray for them. It's not what that means. And so as we go through life and we're called by his name, right, we've talked about consistent Christian character. You're called by the Lord Jesus Christ's name, Christian. As we're called by his name, we must hold ourselves to standards that are not common. Standards that are not common. I, I have to tell you, I, w- I had to really check my uh, attitude before doing, this, uh, before doing this lesson because I'm calling it modern applications. Modern applications. And I have to tell you that it's not merely just the world that is encouraging us to have standards today that are common. Do you know that? I can't tell you how many times I say to my wife, we, we, we have spent a lot of years in ministry. So we know a lot of pastors. We know a lot of missionaries. We're friends with a lot of people on Facebook and on Twitter and on different platforms in different places. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've said to my wife um, that response or that thing that I've seen from them, particularly on social media, is is holding to a standard that's common instead of holding to a higher standard. And I'm talking about biblical standards. We're not getting into any, I'm not talking about gray areas here, folks. I understand there's some gray areas. That I get. I'm perfectly clear on all that. But I'm talking about being called by his name, by Christ's name, and holding ourselves to a standard that is not common. Expectations that he has for his children. They're not like the world. We should remind ourselves of Romans chapter 12. Um, I was able to uh, preach here not not too many months ago in one of the HBBC HBBC chapels. And I remember using this passage of scripture. And I thought about something during that lesson that I hadn't thought about before. And so I I wanna talk about these two verses. I'll mention that, which says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. See, that's what I was talking about. Don't hold to the standards that are common. Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I thought about a sacrifice. I don't know why, but I hadn't really thought about it before. And I thought about that sacrifice being laid on the altar and being prepared to be killed, blood shed for that sacrifice. And I thought, how many choices that sacrifice has at that moment. How many uh, options do they got? Well, I could live this way, or I could do this, or I could do, they don't have any options. They're at the mercy of the one making the sacrifice. That's a, that's submission. That's full surrender That's not, I can make my choice or I can make God's choice. That's full surrender. And so when we're talking about Christian character, we're talking about Christian character from a people who are living as a sacrifice. Holy, that is set apart, acceptable, That means something has to have happened to make you acceptable, which is, of course, our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is your reasonable service. For it only makes sense that you would serve in this way and present yourself in this way fully surrendered. It only makes sense that you would do this. We must never be pressed into the world's mold. I heard about I heard a quote, and I don't, I have to confess, I don't know who it's from, but I've heard it several times. I've heard it on radio shows, about being affected by what they called the secondhand smoke of the world. You ever heard that idea? Where you're living in the world and you're not even trying to pay attention, and yet that Smoke seems to drift in from almost nowhere and begins to affect you before you even know it. And we've been so careful to eliminate from public places smoking because the secondhand smoke we found is a problem. And the secondhand smoke of the world is a problem for us. And it impacts us. I, uh, I used to I'm not making a commentary on this specific issue, okay? I'm not trying to point anyone out, all right? I'm just giving you an illustration from my own life. But I found that I used to have a hobby that I don't have anymore. And I said to Deborah one day, I just am quitting. And I was listening to talk radio, okay? Again, I'm not pointing you out. If you listen to talk radio, don't raise your hand or anything. I'm just saying. But I was listening to talk radio. And what I was finding is it was impacting me. And I found that I agreed with a lot of things that were being said, but they were said in a very worldly way. And I said to myself, whoa, this is worldly thinking. Okay, I agree with the conclusion, but they're getting to the conclusion the wrong way. And there's a big mess between the the, uh, initial question and the answer. And maybe the answer is right, but there's a huge mess in between. That has to do with your that that is all about worldly ways of thinking. I won't get into any more details. And so I stopped and I said to Deborah, I'm stopping, not listening to this anymore. Because even if I agree with it, it's it's conforming me, it's pressing me into a mold that I don't want to be pressed into. We must instead live instead of being pressed into the world's mold, we must instead live transformed lives. Now that's all by his grace. That's all in his power. But we have to live transformed lives. So what are our some of our modern applications for character? And in what context should these character traits be seen? So I just thought of a few. I want to give us some modern examples. In our families, in our families, not pressed into the world's mold, living a transformed life, in a and not in a common fashion, not in a worldly fashion. In our families. This is where we get to Colossians. Colossians chapter three is where I'll be this morning, just for a few verses. I left this verse in here. It doesn't seem to be the beginning of the talk about our families, but this whole chapter talks about our lives and then it gets to our families. And I wanted to leave this verse in because it says, and whatsoever you do. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Very important for our families. Then it gets into our family relationships. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I I used to know someone who would say, see, it talks to fathers twice. They have double the accountability. It's true, he's talking to men. But as we begin, we have the assumption that we will do all or that all should be done for him. We really start with that assumption. All should be done for him. Don't miss that. That would be fitting for those who are a living sacrifice, wouldn't it? That we do all for him. And every member of the family Is instructed to live in what amounts to a counter cultural manner. Is that not true? We are to live not as the world lives in so many ways. And we see these mandates repeated more than once. If you were to move ahead to Ephesians 6, you would see much the same concepts Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Certainly countercultural to honor your father and mother. Maybe obey just for your own good. We might get to that point. Obey your father and mother. Yes, probably. And, you know, you don't want to get in trouble. You'll you'll have problems in school. You You know, there's things that We need to keep our lives arranged properly so children obeying is helpful. The world would probably tell you that. But honor your father and mother? No, not gonna get that. It's first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee. Yeah, it is practical. It is helpful. You obey your parents. You know, the the promise is an interesting one because the promise that comes from obeying your parents to have a long life I've thought of some real practical things for that. Uh, your, Your mom might tell you before you take the keys to the car and when you get in it, she says, now don't speed. Don't go too fast. What my mom used to say is when your friends all get in the car and you're all having fun together, you can get carried away and your foot can get a little heavy on the gas. You know what that kind of advice will do? It'll prolong your life. prolong your life. So that promise comes as very practical things. So it, it may be well with thee that you can live long on the earth. We might get the world to go along with that. Yeah, you know, that's probably good advice. Probably, your mom said, wear your seatbelt. You should probably wear your seatbelt. Your mom said, don't drive too fast. She's probably not drive too fast. Your mom said, don't stay out too late. You'll get tired. When you come home, you'll crash the car. I'm just talking about car here. That's it. There's 10,000 other things that could apply to this. So the world might go along with that. What about honoring your father and mother? And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a really tough commandment, by the way, as a father of five Provoke not your children to wrath. That's a tough commandment. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children are to obey. Wives are to be submissive. Husbands are to love and to lead and to nurture. All these things are a mandate for followers of Christ. And it is in this context, among many others, that character as, is seen, and it is also built. Do you remember we've said, I don't know how many times, that, that character is built in challenges, but it's also built for challenges. I'll tell you what, in the family, what you'll find is these character traits are built in the family, but they're also for your family so many times it's it's as though you've got two things happening at once it's as though you can't function properly as a family without certain character traits but it's also as though the pressures of that family are what build your character traits that's really what's happening here families ought to be examples and the members of the family, when we live according to God's standards, we serve as a light delivery system. Because the relationships each serve as a metaphor in scripture for God's interaction with man. Do you know that? The family is very interesting. Marriage particularly is very interesting because God makes a very deliberate choice and he carries it through throughout scripture. He makes a deliberate choice to say that the church is Christ's bride and the, God's people are his children. That is not an accident. That is absolutely not an accident. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Ephesians 5.22 through 25. Listen to how this is described. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let your wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. These relationships, these family relationships God chooses to use as a metaphor for the way in which he interacts with his people. And it's not an accident. The standards for our family are high, very high. And the reason they're so high is because they serve as a model for God's interaction with men. So we have to show consistent Christian character in our families, in our family relationships, and children have to do what children are instructed to do, and fathers have to do what fathers are instructed to do, and mothers have to do what mothers are instructed to do. As for the purpose of sustaining this model. This example that we have, among many other purposes, because we love the Lord, because we're thankful to the Lord, because we know that the Lord's way is the best and that He knows what's best for us. There's a lot of reasons, but that's certainly one. Maintaining this model that we have, a lot more could be said about that. What about the next thing? What, where else? What other contexts? Do we maintain this Christian character in and act as a model in our work, in our work often overlooked place? I, I've very unfortunately had some people say to me over the years, I say, what, what is that thing you're doing for work? What, is, what do you got going on there? And, and uh, I, that seems a little different. They say, well, my church thing is my church thing, you know, but When I get to business, hey, business is business. Oh, really? You ever consulted God on that? He doesn't agree. I've been very disappointed to hear that many times over the years or something along those lines where there's this separation between what I do in the other parts of my life. Hey, my family, we love God and everything. When I get to business, that's business. That's it. That's an absurd idea. It's not supported by anything in the scripture whatsoever. Not biblical. You want to know why? If you were to go to Ephesians chapter six, that's the next place we're going to be looking. It talks about a relationship that is not dissimilar to the one we have as an employee, but it's certainly, there's some disadvantages to that relationship that we don't have today. It's talking to servants and I recognize very readily the difference between servants and employees. Don't misunderstand the difference. Many times in this context, servants were not able to get another job, right? This is it. This is all you got. So we, please, we've got some huge advantages today. There can be situations that you're in where you say, I don't want to be in this situation any longer. I think I'll get myself a different situation. But here's when it's talking to those. So, so that context is a little bit important because remember, it's this context is talking to people who can't get a different situation. Don't, don't think you have it hard. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. In singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Hey, that's very similar to the other things we've been reading, right? In your family, you're doing everything as unto Christ. It's the same thing in your service to masters according to the flesh. you would be doing it with a single heart as unto Christ. Boy, this is interesting, having done a lot of work through the years in a, a very uh, ungodly context. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. When do you get, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. When do I get to take a break from being servants of Christ and just do my job? I got an answer for you. Absolutely never. Not for one second. You don't take any time off. When you go into the office, you got to be just as godly as when you weren't in the office. Not shocking. Not shocking. It's not. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So, you know, we, we've talked about, not purposely, um, we've talked about so many things regarding character and how many times have we said your, your character has to be between you and God and not just to be shown to men. And then when you look at these specific behaviors, it's telling you the same thing. You're to have good character, not just so other people can see and and think well of you, but because this is about your relationship with God. As unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Thankfully, we're free this morning. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. If you're a leader, in a business, you have the same kind of mandate. Do the same things. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respective persons with him. Are you the boss on the job? Not important to God. There's No respective persons with him. And by the way, how'd you get to be the boss on the job? Then God didn't have something to do with that? Of course. This is another mandate to do all for Christ. Not working for an employer, you're working for Christ. More countercultural messages are sent in our required behavior in this context. We're to work just as hard when the boss is not looking as we work when he is looking. We're not to appear valuable to our employer. We're to actually be valuable. The principles are repeated in Colossians 3. Very similar ideas. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So we're to serve, we're to do it heartily, we're to serve with excellence, we're to serve to the very best of our ability. And it's not, just simply for our employer, because there's such a thing as bad employers. Hey, I get that. I mean, I'm not even gonna relate to you any uh, experience I have with that. But there's such a thing as bad employers that don't treat you correctly and do things wrong to you. I hope they don't smite you on the face, but if they do, turn the other cheek. I hope that they don't needlessly make you walk a mile, but if they make you walk a mile, you might want to walk two. In our communication, it's another context. In our communication, do we have time for it? Ephesians 4, verse 29 says this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Please don't uh, focus on the prohibition in this passage and overlook the further commands. Sure, there is to be no corrupt communication out of your mouth, but you're instead to be working to the edifying and ministering of grace. We live in an era of social media, or as we usually refer to it, an age of edification and grace. Right? Don't we say that about social media? Isn't it great that we have the opportunity on social media to edify and minister grace? And so what you see is that happening everywhere. It's amazing. It's a wonderland. But I've got, some bad news for you if you thought that social media was making our communication corrupt. It's not making our communication corrupt, it's providing a forum for communication that is corrupt. It's like any other tool, it doesn't cause bad behavior, but it reveals it. Colossians chapter three, verses eight through 10 says this. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and ye have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know, we communicate differently now because we are different. It says communicate in this different way. Why do you communicate in that different way? Well, seeing that you've put off the old man and put off the old man's deeds. No man who is new in Christ should communicate in the old way and be comfortable with it. We are new. Our words, how we speak, must reflect that newness. I was, um, there's a guy that we know pretty well who's in ministry, and he posted something on social media, and I knew it wasn't true because I knew, I already knew the story. Um, There's just flat-out false. And demonstrably false. It would have taken 10 seconds of Googling. And he said this, which really irritated me, I have to say. Didn't help my edification and minister grace to me at that moment. But he said this. I don't know if this is true or not. But here it is anyway for you to look at. Something very harsh, very nasty about someone else, and I thought, I don't know if this is true or not, and I'm gonna pass it along to you? What if I said that to you about someone in our congregation? By the way, I'm just gonna tell you something I heard about this guy over here. I don't know if it's true or not. I just thought I'd tell you. By the way, it's really nasty. About them. It will impugn their character. It will take them down a peg in your eyes. You'll, you'll never look at them the same way again. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I just thought I'd tell you. No, it's ungodliness of the highest order. What if I publish it to all my friends? We have a very high standard in our communication. We ought to communicate differently because we are different. Communicate differently. There's one last thing. We've got two minutes in our commitments, in our commitments. I better read this. I think I have time. Matthew 5, through 37. It's amazing. We're going right back to the same passages again, but we're back in Matthew 5. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Phrases of clarification that we often hear, such as, well, to be honest, or to tell the truth, or, well, if I'm being honest, They're too common because our word ought to be seen as true. We ought not to need a modifier for people to believe us. Many times it's a departure in the world for people to tell the truth, meaning it is something different for them. It should never be something different for us. There should never have to come clarification. If a believer in Jesus Christ says he will do something or says that something is true, it ought to be be able to be believed. If a person does not keep their commitments, that's a person who lacks character and it's evident to people who know and interact with that person. I'm just going to give you one thing on our commitments. I'm already out of time. I apologize. I'm just going to give you one thing on our commitments. I was working at a ministry years ago and and somebody came to us and they asked us to come serve in a different ministry. And uh, at that time, I had a contract with that other ministry. And I looked at it and I said this, If I've said to this other ministry that I'm going to serve till this time, there's absolutely nothing that can take me away from that under any circumstances. If I've told them I'm serving till this time, then I know what God's will is for me. It's not God's will to do something else. Well, it's a wonderful ministry opportunity, and it was. But our commitments are of tremendous importance. For what would it say for you to reject one commitment to try to serve in another and for you to expect on that end that people are going to be able to believe that you're trustworthy? Folks, this has been a pretty pointed one this morning. And I, like I told you, I had to to really check my attitude a little bit before this. And I don't know if I've checked it enough. But we're living in a world where these things, these common assertions are being adopted by those of us who say we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus doesn't call us to be common. You've heard that it has been said, wrong. This is what I say. He sets a bar for us and the bar is high. The bar is high, but I'll tell you something. You have everything that you need to clear the bar. The Lord Jesus provides it. You have everything you need to live godly in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Jesus sets a bar. You can clear the bar. Walk in his grace, walk in his strength, clear the bar. These areas of character are so important, but they're a long-term view. You may, be able to get easy, you may be able to do something easier today but not having character. And you might get away with it for a while. But character is talking about the long-term view. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. There's uh, many things in your word that challenge us greatly. And we we have a bar that's set high that you set high for us. Just help us to walk in your grace, to walk in your strength. We'll trust that you provide the things that we need to do what's required. In Jesus' name, amen.